Welcome to the podcast of Fairmount Presbyterian Church in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, where we feature our worship sermons. Listen again to past sermons from home, when you are traveling, or wherever you are. Listen in if you need a moment of reflection, inspiration, and love. Last week, our Jewish friends celebrated Rosh Hashanah, commemorating the creation of the world and the beginning of another new year. This holiday, as you remember, followed closely upon the start of pandemic school year 2.0, accompanied by all of our prayers for safety and health for our nation's school children, youth, teachers, and parents. One Rosh Hashanah tradition involves apples dipped in honey, and that symbolizes the hope for a sweet new year. But there's another tradition with honey, too, and it's been used ever since the Middle Ages in some Jewish communities to sweeten the children's first day of learning Torah and the Hebrew alphabet as young as three years old. The teacher will inscribe, outline the letters of the Hebrew alphabet in honey on paper or a slate for the child to lick off and remember to taste and see that the Lord is good. Personally, I feel like I would have learned the Hebrew alphabet a lot better if that had been Princeton Seminary's method, but alas. We are perhaps more aware than usual of the sweet grace of learning these days, and I hope that none of us takes it for granted. In a world where classrooms have been shut down by pandemic or devastated by violence or closed to girls as in Afghanistan and other places, surely we can agree that building a world with free and fair and safe education is a treasured value. Our children matter. They are precious and beloved and worthy of our protection in the simplest ways like wearing masks and getting vaccinated and stopping for school buses, and in more substantial ways like educational reform, anti-racism, proper prenatal care, and addressing systematic poverty that disproportionately affects children first the world over. The writer of First Peter encourages his siblings in faith to imitate the smallest of children, which I think is interesting. He's not encouraging them to imitate the eldest of those folks among them, but the smallest of children, infants who hunger to be nourished by something that will help them learn and grow and thrive. And here and elsewhere in the Bible, that basic education is described as milk. It is the word of God for the people of God. It is mercy, it is love, and it is the good news that God came into the world through Jesus to save sinners and to bring about God's reign. It is the law of God and the teachings of Jesus, the sweetness of the gospel expressed in words and sacrament and actions, those things that have nourished us with goodness like milk to an infant. Because at our core, no matter what our age or our spiritual maturity or how long we've been walking with Jesus, we are fundamentally hungry for communion with God. We need spiritual nourishment to sustain us for the journey. It's just too hard otherwise. And an important part of that nourishment is belonging in community with Jesus as cornerstone. 
A cornerstone's not just any old stone at the corner of two intersecting walls, like just pick one from the driveway and put it there. It's one prepared and chosen for its exact 90-degree angle that forms the basis for the construction of the whole building. And the people addressed by the words of 1 Peter originally were people who felt abandoned. They were people who had suffered. They were people who were dispersed from their homelands because of persecution, not unlike our friend Jonas worshiping with us today and other immigrants, people who were dispersed and in their Christian faith were living as resident aliens. How reassuring to be told once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You belong. The stone imagery in this passage invites us as well to see ourselves not as a random pile of stones strewn across the landscape, but as living stones brought together in a structure built on Christ as foundation. And that's especially important in the 18 months we have had so far of being more scattered and more isolated. A spiritual house built of living stones is a strong image of belonging because stones can be old and young and brittle or strong or shiny or fractured, solid, large, small, differently shaped and colored and oriented. There's room for everyone. Stories about stones are scattered throughout the scriptures. Jacob used a stone as a pillow on his journey away from home. Stones were carried from the Jordan when homeless former slaves reached the promised land. When Joshua declared, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, the people responded with their own promises, and then Joshua took a stone and set it up under the oak, which was their outdoor sanctuary, and said, this stone shall be a witness, for it has heard the words of the Lord that he spoke to us living stones. And then in the New Testament, John the Baptist cries out, I tell you, God is able to raise up from these stones children to Abraham. Three years later, some of the Pharisees in the Palm Sunday crowd were annoyed by the celebration and said to Jesus, teacher, order your disciples to stop. And what did Jesus say? Jesus says, I tell you, if these stones were silent, if these people were silent, then these stones would shout out. And on the third day, when the women came to Jesus' tomb, the large stone was rolled away and Jesus was no longer dead but alive. Now in First Peter, stones come to life in the early church of Asia Minor, churches with no buildings, churches with no steeples, Churches meeting quietly in homes, celebrating the Lord's Supper, blessing their children and caring for their elders, almost invisible unless you were looking for them. Without a, without a temple, the people would become this temple of living stones, the presence of Jesus as their cornerstone. Jesus, the cornerstone rejected by religious leaders in his own time, crucified on a Roman cross, raised from the dead by the power of God who can make stones cry out in praise and who raises us too to resurrection life. All that we do and build and become is based on Christ as our foundation and our cornerstone. Here at Fairmount, 
The cornerstone of our sanctuary was laid, this sanctuary was laid on June 22nd, 1941. And if I was better with directions, I could point out which corner you can find it at. All right, thank you, Brian Zeekley, that corner. June 22nd, Fairmount's History Book notes, Germany invades Russia on this day. The cornerstone for the new sanctuary is laid this day, a symbol of the hope for peace. Dr. Frank Ferris, senior pastor in these uncertain times when the depression still trailed the economy and war already reared in the world, called the congregation to build God's home in the community in 1939, and the people responded with enthusiasm, faith, and funds. On June 22nd, he blessed the cornerstone, surrounded by his congregation, Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts representing youth and leaders of the lay community, and that scene would later be reproduced almost exactly in the Todayum window at the back of the sanctuary, newly cleaned, the bottom part of it, at the rear of the choir loft. The worshiping community, the worshiping community as the church's crowning glory. There are so many things to love about that story. The act of celebration when the world was in turmoil, the enthusiastic response of the congregation in a time of war, the youth who showed up at the laying of the cornerstone, and the truth illustrated in the window that as grand and inspiring as our sanctuary can be, the worshiping community is the house of God, God's own people, called out of darkness into light. I think about the people that day. Some of them had sons who would soon go off to war. Some would have been veterans of the First World War. Some had means. Others suffered deprivation. And a few may still be with us today. All these living stones built into God's spiritual house in the past and in the present. On any given Sunday, the woman falling asleep in the back, the teenagers texting during worship, the babies crying, the man grieving the loss of his wife, the worshipers participating online, the preachers wondering if God will speak today, seekers looking for the holy, children born and raised during the past 20 years when our nation was at war, showing up and letting yourselves, letting ourselves be built into a spiritual house which is defined not as the building in which we meet, but the building we have become as God's people. The way that we provide a spiritual and digital and relational space where people engage holiness and celebrate, no matter what else is happening, celebrate the presence of God that prompts us to make a difference in the world. If you look carefully, you will see that this physical shelter for the people of God we so often refer to as church has etched into its very bones and stones and windows the gospel truths we proclaim, the symbols of our faith, the call to faith and prayer, and especially that biblical question at the entrance to the old sanctuary that I will keep reminding us about, is it well with the child. The holiness and the grandeur and the beauty we've experienced here in this physical shelter for God's people is meant to call us out, call us to be God's light and provide shelter for others. 
I think our own times are just as turbulent as they were for early Christians in Asia Minor. They are just as uncertain as they were for Fairmounters who laid the cornerstone in 1941. And the need to respond with faith and commitment and enthusiasm is equally necessary. Throughout the fall, we'll be focusing on themes of home and scripture, and you'll see images of home created by youth and children, and we'll have opportunity to be part of providing an actual home for a family in need in order to sustain ourselves for the risks and challenges of this long life of faith we start out like newborns with this raw material of Jesus's love that's especially designed to meet our basic needs and to reassure us we are accepted and loved by God and that gives way to building blocks living stones that lay a foundation for challenges sure to follow. And that foundation gives way to an identity that will not shrivel up at the first sign of trouble. We are God's own people in the real world where there is no place for small Christian living. We are equipped with all we need to proclaim the mighty acts of the one who calls us out of darkness and into the marvelous light to sing and to protest and to dance and to pray to march and worship, to protect, to shelter, to give, to build, to celebrate. And as we've talked about all these things, milk and honey and living stones and cornerstones, building and becoming salvation and mercy, I just want to say that that first word in the verse is the most important one. Let yourselves be built into a spiritual house. Let is a word full of possibility, but not passivity. It is a vulnerable word. It is an invitational word. Let there be light, and there was light. The Psalms declare, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, and all God's creatures raise their voices in prayer. Mary, the mother of Jesus, let it be with me according to your word. Let is a familiar and invitational word. Let us pray. Let us worship God. Let us give thanks. Let us offer to God the gifts of our hands and our lives. Let yourselves be built into spiritual house. Let it happen. Let it happen despite your own shortcomings and the imperfections of those worshiping with you in the pews or in the pulpit. Let it be despite your anxious resistance when things don't go your way, let it become in times of strength and weakness. And when you bump up against those other living stones who may have different viewpoints or experience than your own, let yourselves be built. Let yourselves be nourished by word and sacrament, by the wisdom of the elders and the voices of the children. Let yourselves taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm going to close with a poem by Jamaican poet, Dr. Kai Miller, professor. and He has a short poem called Book of Genesis. And I'd like you to close your eyes for this online or here. And just, it was like this. Suppose there was a book full of only the word let. 
from whose clipped sound all things begin. Fur and firmament, feather, the first whale. And suppose we could scroll through its pages every day to find and pronounce a let meant only for us. We would stumble through the streets with open books. Eyes crossed from too much reading, we would speak in auto-rhyme. The world would echo itself, and still we'd continue in rounds, saying let and let and let, until even silent dreams had been allowed. O oh Lord, let it be so. Amen. We thank you for listening to a worship episode from Fairmount Presbyterian Church. Revisit this podcast site weekly for new worship episodes. Have a beautiful and blessed day.